Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning uh, we're continuing our series in the uh, little letter uh, written by the half-brother of Jesus, James, who uh, knew him since he was uh, a child and came to faith after he experienced the resurrection. And it's all about living out your faith and living out our faith collectively as we try to do it individually. And, and that's a challenge. It's, it's one thing to come to faith and make that step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's the first step. But the, the continual steps of trusting Him more and experiencing the life that He has called you to live and, and serving the life giver uh, as we want to be a light that is, sh- is shown into other people's lives. And as I was thinking about that... Uh, God has called us to live, as uh, Paul writes in the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, to be not led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, which really simply means it really is all about Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus and relying upon Him. But with that comes the specific challenges. Well, how do you do that? How do you actually trust Jesus? And how do you respond in the right way to life's challenges? Well, uh, we're going to be looking at this morning, and, and challenges can be in two different avenues. It can be the avenues of those things that we have to endure, which are the trials of life, and it's also those things that we tr- need to somehow get away from, which are the temptations that will draw us into sin. Um, but responding in the right way to that which you're going through is critical. I was reading a story by uh, Chuck Swindoll in one of his books uh, just recently, and, and it really uh, c- kind of summarized how you can be in a challenge and respond the wrong way if you're not careful. Um, he writes this, he says, four guys decided to go to a mountaintop climbing one weekend. In, in the middle of the climb, one fella slipped over a cliff, dropped about 60 feet, and landed with a thud on the ledge below. Uh, the other three, hoping to rescue him, yelled, Joe, are you okay? I'm alive, but I think I broke both of my arms. Well, we'll toss down a rope to you and pull you up just lie still. Fine, answered Joe. In a couple minutes, after dropping one of the, uh, the end of the rope, they started tugging and grunting together, working feverishly to pull their wounded companion to safety. When they laid him about three, when they had had him about three fourths of the way up, they suddenly remembered he said he had broken both arms. Joe, if you broke both your arms, how in the world are you hanging on? To which Joe responded, well, by my teeth. Uh, that was his joke, not mine. All right. So, uh, but, you know, you can env- envision what happened. Here, here he was responding, and then he didn't respond very well to the question that was asked him, and it all was done. Well, sometimes that's our experience. You know, we're in the midst of something, and we think like we're, we're getting through it, and somehow we don't get through it because we s- respond the wrong way. And if that's true in a physical realm, how much more true is in the spiritual realm? We, we need to know not only who we are to turn to, but how we're supposed to turn to Him during life's uh, challenges. And so we're going to try to see that this morning and, and ho- hope you get the simplicity of it, but also the, the challenge of it. And I've entitled the message, Remain, Resist, or Run. And you need to know when to do which. Because if you're running when you ought to be remaining and you're, you're um, re- uh, somehow resisting when you ought to be doing something else, that you're going you're gonna to fall. I don't know if 60 feet from a cliff, but you're going to fall if you're do- making the wrong response to life's challenges. And uh, hopefully we'll see that this morning. Uh, many people try the Christian life. 
But trying it will not help you be successful. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. And even trusting, you need to know there's another step with that. Because trusting is like, is like a muscle. Some people say uh, faith is like a muscle. The more you work it, the bigger it will get. And the same thing with trusting, particularly through the challenges of life. You need to train yourself to trust God well. And part of that trusting is know what to do when things happen. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And we're going to break it down in three areas or categories. What do, you, what do you need to do in facing trials? What do you need to do in facing the tempter, which is kind of the, one of the main sources of your, of your trials or temptations? And then what do you do in the temptation itself? So we're going to look at how do you respond to facing trials? How do you respond in facing the tempter? And then thirdly, how do you respond in facing temptations? Well, well let's, uh, let's look at it uh, to begin with. In facing trials, what you need to do, and this gets those three R's that I've been sharing with you about, is that you need to, and I need to trust God to remain faithful, to remain faithful. Um, this is true in that verse we're trying to memorize, and if you spend any time even listening as we began the service, you've probably almost all got it memorized. Consider it all joy when you, my brethren, when you encounter various what? Trials. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to consider it all joy, but it really doesn't stop there because it says why we ought to do that because if we do it, we'll experience endurance and, and patience if we face the trial. So trials or challenges or obstacles or problems, things that, that go wrong in your life, God filters those things to, to build up endurance in your life. And, and that's why as we face a trial, we are called not to give up. That's the idea in the new passage that we're looking at this morning. In James 1.12, uh, James writes this, Blessed, and the word blessed there means happy or joyful or favored one. Uh, favored or happy is a man who perseveres under a trial. If you took out that word persevere, you're not going to be blessed. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be joyful. If you give up during a trial, that trial will never give you joy. So that's the challenge, to remain. The, the word persevere can literally be translated to remain under, to remain under a trial. And why is that true? For once he has been approved, the person who is hanging in there, not quitting during a trial, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So God says, I'm going to give you a reward if you are the type of person who has a trust relationship with me, who isn't just trying, but trusting uh, to Remain under, persevere, hang in there, not quit when you are facing life's challenges. And he goes on, and then 1 Corinthians 10, 13, another passage talking about this. He says, no temptation, and the word for temptation there could be literally translated trial. No trial is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able but with the trial or temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to, what's the next word there? Endure it. So it's kind of like Winston Churchill giving one of his famous speeches. And he gets up to have this, I think it was a, um, a speech at a commemoration or a graduation of all these students at his particular um, a campus that he grew up in when he was a child or a young person. And he got up and simply said, never quit. Never quit. Never, never, never quit. 
And if that be true, and he experienced that in the political realm, and he became very, very successful, how much more true is it in the spiritual realm? What God brings us through, he wants us to never quit, to remain under, to persevere. Now, the challenging thing about that is he says, and, and while you do that, I want you to be joyful. Now, the reason he says I want you to be joyful because you're going to get something out of this. Now, in other words, you'll learn the lessons of life now, and then in the life to come, you'll experience life in its fullest. Now, taking a step back, let's be honest. When you're going through a trial, do you want it to end quickly, or do you want it to take a long time? What? I want it quickly done, right? Brian just lied in church over there. He says, I want it to make it a long time, right? You know, when something bad is happening, you, 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 don't, you want it in instantly as possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's all right to say, Lord, okay, it hurts right now. Can you take away that pain? I've learned the lesson. You know, don't step, you know, where you don't know where you're stepping. Okay, I've learned that. I, now I want the pain to be gone. And, and, you know, God can do the miraculous. He can instantly heal your foot. But... That often doesn't happen. He says, okay, I want this pain to endure a while and really learn that lesson. Uh, but there are other trials much greater than that. You're wondering, God, why did you allow this to happen, if not to me, to that other person? Can't you get this over? And sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and it endures. It continues. And when that happens, you can either give up or quit, be angry at God, or you can say, God, I'm going to trust you even when it's difficult. Now, Related to that, you know, all of this, it's all right to pray the prayer of God, get me out of this now. You know, it's like, you know, Peter, when he got out of the boat, you know, when, they, when Jesus was walking on the, on the water, he got, out of the, he got out in the boat and started walking in the water, and all of a sudden he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to what? Sink. And he prayed one of the shortest prayers in the Bible, Lord, save me, right? He didn't go in this long, gated, pastoral prayer. He just said, save me, and he did it immediately. But, you know, that doesn't always happen. And... I think many of you have probably heard the serenity prayer. It's uh, reportedly uh, written by Richard Niebuhr, and this is the, the famous part of it. He says, God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. That's a, that's a pretty practical prayer, isn't it? Okay, Lord, if I can change it, if I can get out of this, I'm going to get out of it now. But if I can't, if I can't change it, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to continue on. And that's kind of tied to this entire passage, isn't it? Because James says that earlier. Uh, there's a translation or a paraphrase of, of James done by J.B. Phillips. Some of you may have heard this. Some of you may not have. But he writes it pretty colorfully about our attitude toward trials. He says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your life, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders but welcome them as friends. Now, that's a radical thought. There's only one way you could welcome them as friends, believing that it's going to be used in a good way in your life or somebody else's life, even if you never totally understand it. And then he goes on later and he says, but let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed that you might have, be people of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if the process, if any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem, he only has to ask God who gives generously to all men without making them feel, feel foolish or guilty. 
And that's really what we were trying to communicate earlier in this series. We were saying, what does it mean to ask God for wisdom? It's not just simply the right answer on a test or, or some way to invest in something that you don't know how to invest in. He said, look, I want to give you wisdom to be able to know how to face a trial in ways that will bring you joy because you see the good out of it. And the, the byproduct of that is you're saying, I'm willing to be in this for the long haul. If it only happens for a short period of time, fine. But if it's a long haul, I will trust you for it. But, but what I want to share with you, it's interesting on this serenity prayer. I, I did some research on that. That part I read is not the only part of the serenity prayer. I don't know if you, have any of you ever heard the, the other parts of the serenity prayer? It, it, I like that much more than the first part. He goes on and says this, Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Now, that is a substantive prayer. Okay, I, I want to understand the difference between things I can change and I can't change and the wisdom know the difference, but I want to live life like Jesus did. One moment at a time, trusting you for the joy that is not described by just pleasant experiences, but the joy that's deep inside, that you're in control. There's lessons in life to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live this out as long as you put me in, in, this, in this experience and trusting that I can have a measure of happiness now and a greater measure of happiness in the future. Would that radically change how we approach life if we live that way? And that's why James says, Blessed are you, happy of you, if you persevere, remain under. Believe in God's faithfulness. Don't quit. And in case you need another motivation, he says, I just want to let you know, these kind of people, they're going to receive the crown of life. Um, you know, whenever you study a passage of Scripture, you always wonder what things you want to keep in, what things you want to keep out in terms of some of the ways you, you could digress and talk about uh, certain themes in Scripture. But I know one of our life groups this week, and have I told you I want you to be in a life group? Right. Is the, the question was that, well, what about the, the, the crowns? Why, why is God bribing us with crowns? And it wasn't said that harshly, but what's the deal with crowns? Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible t t teaches us, based on our faithfulness, that we will receive crowns for his glory and honor and for God's approval of our life. But there are some crowns that everybody gets who really know Jesus. And I believe that's what's true here. The crown of life God gives to people who have a relationship with Him that persevere in no matter what goes on in life. They don't quit in their faith with Him because their faith is real. And, and I guess the way to look at that is, you know, basically we all do things in life because either we like the reward or we're fearful of the punishment, right? And God is saying, let me motivate you. If you hang, remain under whatever you're going through, don't give up, don't get bitter, get better as we've talked about. Then I want you to understand, you're going to receive, it doesn't get any better that you're going to receive the crown of life. What would you give up, what would you, you know, give up the crown of life for that this world could offer? I mean, nothing. This is the crown of life. So as we desire to live out our faith and, and as we try to experience what God has called us to experience and live the life he's called us to live, the first thing he wants us to do, he wants us to face trials by understanding we need to trust God enough to remain Faithful to the one who is faithful. Does that make sense? Don't give up. 
But there's other challenges in life, and that is, well, what, what about all these things I keep thinking and how I feel and, and how, how I respond uh, to things that just, just mess me up? And so not only do we need to understand we need to remain or, or hang in there during certain times, what do we do in facing the tempter? And the tempter is, is the one who, who tries us to lead us astray from, from living out the life that God has called us to live if we have a relationship with him. And, and the very first sin backs up to when the tempter tempted Adam and Eve, right? And how, how did he get Adam and Eve to do the only one thing? Wouldn't you like, to, wouldn't you like that on your, uh, in your portfolio? There's only one thing you don't have to do the rest of your life. The rest, everything you can. Anybody want to sign up for that? Man, it makes it pretty only one thing. And the one thing the tempter was able to deceive him to the point that they thought the one thing was better than everything. So what's the simple idea there? Idea there idea there in terms of living it out is that we need to, resp- need to respond to the tempter. And what does the tempter do? He tries to deceive us. And he deceives us by telling us lies. So one is don't quit. The other thing is don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. In, in the passage here, there's all kinds of verses I put in your outline that, that speak about who the tempter is. In John 8, 44, he's called the father of lies. Looking at the last part of that. Whenever he speaks a lie, John 8, 44, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, you know, whenever, whenever you tell a lie, you're acting just like who? The devil. But even the po- focus here is whenever you believe a lie, you are trusting in someone who always lies. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it talks about the great dragon, the devil being thrown down from heaven with all his other angels. And then in verse 10 it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. So there's someone in the unseen world the devil, our adversary. And what he's doing without us being able to discern it visually is he's, one, telling us lies. Number two, he's accusing us or he is demeaning us. He is, he is putting us down in our relationship with God. Now, has anyone here ever been falsely accused by someone with skin on? You know, they said something about you that wasn't true. Anybody had that experience? Um, some of you need to live longer if you haven't ever had that experience, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, have you ever had that where people, they say things about you that aren't true? They, uh, they, you know, they communicate messages about you, and you go, where did you hear that from? Well, I heard it from... And for a variety of reasons, they do that. Now, does that make you feel good? Obviously not, okay? And then the closer those people are to you, you it, it can just devastate you. And after a while, you know, if you hear a lie long enough, you'll eventually what? Believe it. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who have these uh, tapes running through their head and their mind about things they were told when they were a child uh, or by either a teacher or by a coach or by a parent or a grandparent or a friend. And, and, and uh, you ask them about you know, why they think that way about themselves or about life, and they say, well, that's because I was always told that. Well, did you ever stop and think whether that was true or not? But what happens is once you begin to believe something about you, maybe, maybe there's an, uh, an athlete and he said, well, you'll, you'll never be a, a good at this sport. And so he quit playing the sport. Or a person said, well, you, you, you'll never amount to anything. You, 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 know, you need to be put in um, not the higher end of the academics. You need to be put down in you know, where the lower end. And 
And, and some people, if they had believed that lie, we wouldn't have Einstein today, you know. But because, because people are told things all the time that are not true. And if that's true in the physical world, how much more is it true in the spiritual world? The, the evil one can mess up your walk with God by simply convincing you of things that are not true about you or life. You know, God doesn't always know what's best for you. That's how it's starting in the garden. But people believe that all the time. We have a culture right now who are trying to, re, not trying, but have in many ways redefined marriage. And if that was in the Bible, I could care less how they define marriage. But when the Bible talks about marriage as between a man and a woman, he's doing it not just because he arbitrarily said that, because he, he knows that's what's best. And, and when we begin to believe a lie that everybody should have the freedom to do whatever they want, anytime they want, any place they want, um, culturally that will impact us, and then individually it will impact us. And... First uh, Peter 5 says this, that, that the tempter is so passionate about this that he wants to destroy us. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I was just thinking about it as I was reading that. When we were camping this last uh, summer, um, it, you know, it wasn't a lion, but it was a bear roaring around and... Uh, you know, people were just filled with fear about what might happen to them. And, and that we have an enemy. And, and what's humorous about that, in one sense, it's not a humorous experience, but often the bear has, has no desire to, to mess with the humans. They just want to mess with the things you brought up, what the humans brought up. They want to eat your lunch. They don't want to eat you for lunch. You know what I mean? But the evil one wants to eat you for lunch. And he does that by lying to you. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, but resist him, be firm in your faith. So we don't have to run from the devil. Uh, we just need to resist him. And what we do to resist him is not to believe his lies. James 4, 7 says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So from whatever source, where God is, where, where, whether the, the tempter has been, why are you turning the page? I haven't got there yet. You always do that. Okay. Is that, is that, you know, the tempter, whether he uses a, a person with skin on or whether it's just a thought that's put in your mind, and I don't know how that happens. It could be from um, just images that you are seeing in the world, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, maybe you look at a, at a person in a magazine and say, well, I can't be very important because I don't look like that person, right? You know, we have an industry where there's so much money spent on, on um, plastic surgery you know, where does that come from? Well, because they have this ideal of what people ought to look like. And they go, well, I'll do whatever it takes to look like that, right? And they'll spend huge amounts of money because they bought the lie. You can't be a beautiful person if you don't look like this person. Which is always interesting. You know, historically, it used to be uh, fat was where it's at and now thin is where it's in, right? You know, it used to be different what the ideal body was. And that's not even true. I mean, you, you can just look at 100 years ago and the, the ideal body types were different. Okay, and I, I think body types, we ought to be as healthy as we can be, but there is no perfect ideal body type. But people buy that lie. Or, or maybe people compare their mind to somebody else's mind. Man, that person can, you know, whatever it might be, and say, what does that got to do with anything? Their, their mind works a certain way, but it doesn't mean you don't have a, a mind that, that God has given you that can be used to, to really impact people in a positive way. 
You know, some people who, who think too fast and talk too fast and walk too fast, they walk, what do they do? They walk past people they should stop with. They don't listen to people they should be listening to because they're talking too fast. And, and they're not really thinking th- clearly through something because when they're thinking that fast, they're not allowing their mind to kind of dwell on things that need to be dwelled on. So whatever strength that you think you don't have that somebody else has, that's, that's a corresponding weakness too. Does that make sense? So the, the thing that, that the evil one will do, he will, he will take you as you are and try to demean you. And you need to resist that. That's where the energy you ought to you should not believe the lie. And if you're not sure whether what you're believing is a lie, is talk to someone with with uh, uh, you know that understands spiritual things. Love and we you can you can take away the lie pretty quickly if you just think about it for a moment. Whenever you're feeling worthless, that does not come from God. That comes from the evil one. When, when God pricks us. He, he, it's very specific. This is something you did you shouldn't have done. This is something you should have done that you, you didn't do. This is, this is an attitude that was right, wrong and you need to change the attitude. This is, this is something that came out of your mouth you shouldn't have said. He doesn't say, well, you're a worthless person because you did that. He doesn't defeat us. He, he corrects us. And so we need to resist the tempter, the one who lies to us and not follow after his, his path. Does that make sense? So we, we remain under trials, looking for the lessons God wants us to give. If we can change it, fine. But some trials He wants us to endure. That's the only way we're going to learn those lessons. And it's the only way God's going to use maybe our life to, in our weaknesses to show His presence. And, and then with the tempter, we need to just be able to say no to His lies. And the Bible says he'll, if we resist Him, He'll have to leave. In, in your uh, Bible study this week, we'll, we'll talk about how Jesus resisted the evil one with the use of Scripture. But thirdly, how do you face temptation? Now, this is really the heart of the passage after verse 12 where he speaks about, well, how do we actually fall into sin? And, and what's our answer? Well, the answer is that we need to trust God to run from sin. And if I were to rephrase this, I might even say, we, whenever you run from something, you then correspond to need to run to something. Does that make sense? If, if, if you're just running from something, it's like the person who's driving on a trip and and, and, um, and the person says, uh, you know, how's the, how's the drive going? He says, uh, are we going to get there soon? Uh, you know, so I have no idea. I said, well, why would you say it's, it's, it's going pretty well? Well, we're making good time. You know, I have no idea where we are, but we're making good time. And sometimes that happens with people. They're running around active, but where are they running to? And so the Bible wants us to run from sin, you know, to the presence of Jesus on that. But here's how, another way to put it. When we think about the things that we'll fall into that are wrong, and the difference between a trial and temptation is when God tries us, He tests us. He tests us to see whether our faith will remain strong in the midst of whatever we're going through. And the test will not only reveal where we are, but it will also strengthen us. Um, let's, go, let's, let's go back into the school environment. Okay? When, when a teacher gives you a test, you know, why do they give you a test? They give you a test, unless they're an evil teacher, okay? They're, they're, giving, they're giving you a test to see if you know the material, right? And hopefully, if they, if they have a, 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 you know, a good heart, as they give you the test, they want you to pass the test, right? But not only does it help you to pass, you know, say if you know the material, you pass the test, you feel good about passing the test. But what it also does, when you pass the test, it gives you co- more confidence that you know the material, Right? 
And so then, if you know the material, and if it's a practical class, then you can use that material outside the classroom. So when you go through a trial and pass it with you know, flying colors that you trusted God in the midst of it, then God says, hey, I've, now I'm preparing you for something else. You're now ready to apply this principle. You know, it could be, it, it could be the, the test to say uh, someone says something and you just want to just, you know, with your tongue rip them apart, right? And you resist the temptation to say that what you wanted to say. Have you ever had that experience? And then you go, wow, I, 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 did you see what I did? I actually, I held my tongue, you know, when I could have said something. And, and when you pass that test, it helps you to pass the test the next time when you could have said something that you shouldn't have said, right? And on the opposite side, when you get bold in telling something, you know, maybe the message of Christ to somebody, you actually share your faith with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, you do it one time, you go, wow, I didn't die when I did it. Then the next time it comes up, you're much more confident to do it again. That make sense? So those tests are not only revealing your character, but it's building your character because now you're prepared to do it the next time. Nod your head like you're still listening to me, all right? So, so he goes on. Um, but on the other hand, this, the same thing is, as far as the things that will entice you to do evil, if you stay away from them, the more times you stay away from them, you'll build up a, 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 you know, a, a strength against doing the things that will... Do, They'll bring you down. But anyway, here's the process in terms of how sin happens. Let no one say when he's tempted, and that uh, that word is could be translated tried, but the temptation is a different motive. When we're tried by God, He wants us to pass the test. When we're tempted by the evil one, He wants us to what? Fail the test. And the more times we fail the test, the more often we'll fail in the future. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And we're going to look at that in a moment. You can't fault God when you mess up. I can't fault God when I mess up. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. So God never wants to see you fail. He never puts something in front of you so that you will make the wrong choice. Then He goes on and says, well, this is what happens when you get tempted. But each one, and you can put your name, but Mike is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, the word lust always has a negative connotation when we see the word lust, but really we could have translated that enticed by his own desire because it's a neutral term. You can have desires for good things or bad things, or you can have desire for good things but used in a wrong way. And the idea of carried away and enticed are two word pictures here. It's like a, carried away is the idea of a hunter trying to trap uh, some kind of animal and and capture it for food or whatever it might be, and so it'll arrange something and put maybe food in a particular type of way, and the, the animal will come along and, and see that which is desirous to, to, to sight and to taste, and then go for it, and then all of a sudden it gets trapped. Or enticed has the idea of a fisherman throwing out uh, the line with a hook on it and putting a bait on it for a particular type of fish he wants to catch, and all of a sudden that fish comes around, looks at it, and all of a sudden grabs after it. And you say, well, why did that... Why did that you know, that uh, animal in the forest or that fish in the sea uh, go after that which was so dangerous because they saw something they liked and it looked good for food, it looked good for the taste, it looked for wh- whatever it might do. And he said that, that's exactly what happens in us. It, we are enticed and carried away by our own desire. The desire itself, however, is not wrong. And so being tempted, when you get tempted, it's not necessarily sin, it's what you deal with it. If you're an animal of forest and see that trap with the food in it and you look at it and you go, I really want that, but I better not get close to it because there might, that might be a trap there and it goes away from it. You know, most food in the forest is moving around when they're going to eat it, right? And so, well, how come that thing's all sliced up really nice when they take bite-sized pieces? 
You know, it's not really something I should be going after. You know, why is that, that little, you know, egg on the, on the hook or whatever it might be or that lure, why is it acting like that? I've never seen one like that before, but it's so much shinier than the other things I eat. I'm going to go after it. And so what it needs to do is it's, it's nothing wrong for those animals or those fish to be tempted by what they're lured or enticed by because that's their natural desire. It's what you do with it. Uh, C.S. Lewis with his uh, screw tape l- uh, letters, you talk about two uh, particular demons talking back and forth about the challenge of, of enticing God's people to go the wrong way. And I, I uh, forget the exact wording of it, but it's like, uh, you know those followers of that name we never talk about, which is Jesus. Um, you know, the best thing we can do is take those desires for things that God wants to bless them with and just tweak it enough so they use those desires with not the things that will bless them by using it in God's way, but go after those natural desires in a bad way. And isn't really that's most where sin comes from? I mean, God has given us a desire for food. It's, it's only bad when we use it to the point where we eat too much of it, right? And the wrong kinds. God has desire, given us a desire for intimate physical relationship uh, between a man and a woman. And, and God delights that we experience that desire unless we use it in the wrong way. And it destroys relationships. God desires for us to enjoy beauty, but if we, if we go after it in the wrong way, it becomes destructive. In Time Magazine this uh, past week, there was a, an article on, on uh, the, the, the prevalence of pornography in our, in our nation. And, and as they were, they were talking about it, and I, I grabbed part of that article, this is, this is what Time Magazine said. There's the constant availability of hardcore pornography in our culture, particularly as it relates to men. And Denny Burke from Boyce College has summarized the data and written an insightful reflection. The conclusion, porn is changing the brains of young men who have been watching it from a young age, and as a result, they're impotent with actual women. The impotence is both physical and relational. Now, part of the reason pornography has become such a prevalent experience in our culture, one, is uh, it makes a lot of money. But the other part of it is culturally, People look at pornography and say, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a victimless crime. No one really gets hurt. All, all people are doing is looking at pictures. But is that really what's happening? What, what, what is happening is the tempter who lies has got people in our culture to believe the lie, that it's all right to go after that which describes women as objects rather than people, be enamored with the looks of them, and to the point where they actually are destroyed on the inside and they can't have a meaningful relationship with people and yet they still get married and then in the marriage that meaningful relationship doesn't happen and that, dis- that marriage is, is destroyed and if they have kids, the, the fallout is on their kids and all of a sudden we've accepted that because it just didn't seem that bad, right? And, and that's the lie of the evil one is whatever you're struggling with, it's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. Every, a lot of people are doing it. It's prevalent. How, how can it be bad if it feels so good? The, and so what needs to happen in, in our culture is people realize you need to run from that. You need to run from that which would entice you to do that which is evil. 
He even says in this text, he says, he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. You know, pornography might not be the, the challenge you have, but it could be, could be something else. It could be the desire to, to, uh, to talk about people behind their back, and it kind of gives you a sense of power, and you, you're in the know, and you want somebody else to be in the know, and you want them to know that you know before they knew, and you know, sometimes when you hear people talk, it's almost that's the motivation. I, w- I want you to know that I know, and I feel better because you don't know and I know, and it gets it out there. You need to run from that. And if there, there are people you run to to speak about that kind of stuff, then you need, to, you need to change that pattern, whatever it takes. There's all kinds of things that, that we'll struggle with. And he th- simply says, I want you to understand what happens when we allow the tempter to use the temptation to use our natural desires to bring us to make decisions that, that, that mess us up and mess up the people around us. He says in verse 15, Then when lust has conceived, now he uses a birth analogy, it gives birth to what? To sin. You know, what, what comes out of the womb is not life, but what he's going to say in a moment is actually death. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Death is used in a variety of different ways in the Scripture. Sometimes death is used, uh, obviously, with physical death. When, when someone you know, stops breathing on this planet and their life here physically is done, they're, separation, they're separated from physical life. Sometimes it's used in terms of spiritual life. You're separated from having a meaningful relationship with God. Sometimes it's used for eternal, eternal death. You're forever separated from God. It, it can be simply... Uh, death, a separation from an intimate relationship with God. He says that's what happened when we, when we uh, habitually follow after sin. It, it ruins our relationship with God. So what, what, sh- what should be our attitude toward that whole struggle? Well, let me uh, throw out a few things. Number one, don't blame yourself when tempted. Now, by that I mean about this, is that it's not a sin to be tempted it's a sin to fall to the temptation. You know, you know take, take the, the, the young man or older man approach. You know, it's, it's one thing to see a woman and admire her beauty, you know, on the first look. But once you take the second look, you're going down the pattern of saying, I, I don't want to just admire the beauty. I'm trying to, uh, you know, consume that which I see. Someone has said, well, Make sure you make a long first look then if you're not going to take a second look. And that, that's not the point. The point is, is look, at, you, can't, you can't have blinders on. You're going to see p- things that you might not even desire seeing, but you're going to see them. But don't linger there. That somewhere where, where the mind is conceiving of certain things, if you dwell on it, it'll become a sin. Some people put the progression of sin this way. Where, where, how does sin begin? It begins with desire. There's nothing wrong with the desire. But what happens after the desire is then you get deceived by the desire to say, well, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting closer to the fire or closer to the fire. There's, no long, there's nothing wrong with playing with the fire. It, it, you know, I don't think the government should have all my money, so it's okay to cheat on taxes. I'm just cheating a little bit. And then you want to cheat a lot. And then, it, you, you know, you, no, no, I, I need to be honest with my money with, with the government, whether I like it or not. Or um, that w- whatever it might be. And, and let me just turn this around too, in the time we have left. It's not just the sins of, of commission, which is the things we should not do. It's also the sins of omission, which is what are the things we should do that we're not doing? 
And we need to run to those kind of things, the things we ought to do, and run away from things we should not do. But he begins with a desire, then deception, and then disobedience, and then death. But don't blame the initial desire, the temptation, because we're all going to have things that will tempt us. But don't fall to it. Secondly, don't blame God when tempted. And isn't that what Adam and Eve did? You know, as they ran from God rather than to God in the garden, uh, God says, hey, where are you? You know, and they said, well, you know. And then he asked them the question, well, why did you eat the forbidden fruit to Adam? Well, it was the woman you gave me. Who did he put the blame on? He didn't blame his own unwillingness to say no to the tempter. He said, if you hadn't brought that woman into my life, I would never have eaten that fruit. So then he turns to Eve. And what does Eve do? He goes, uh, well, uh, I would have never done that if you hadn't brought that serpent into my life. Because in many ways, we can't blame God and we can't blame others. We can't even blame the evil and we can't blame Satan. We can't say the devil made me do it. We can say it, but it's not true. He tempted us. But he is not the reason. We chose to follow after it. Uh, fourthly, don't blame the source. Well, if it wasn't, if, if that whatever it was wasn't so beautiful or tempting, or, then I wouldn't have done it. I couldn't help myself. I, I, how many times have I heard that with people? It was just, you, if, you had, if you had been there, you would have done it too. No, it doesn't matter how, how much it looks. And then don't blame the past when tempted. And we, we need to have balance here. Obviously, all of us are, are made up of a variety of experiences. Our, our past does shape us in many ways. Uh, you know, the lies we've heard or the people that have abused us, you know, hurt people, hurt people, all those kind of things. But that's maybe an explanation of why some of our tendencies or our desires or our habits go a certain direction. But the reality is we don't have to go down that path. We, we can stop that cycle. And, and if we are only justifying how we are or explaining how we are because of what we've experienced in the past or what people have done to us, uh, then we are, we are looking at life as being a victim. And Jesus does not look at, li- at us as victims, but as victors. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a process. And we talked a little bit about it in the Bible study this week. But, but we need to understand, we, we don't blame circumstances. We don't blame people. We don't blame God. We don't even blame the devil. We, we own up and say, what I have done, I've chosen to do, and I don't want to do it again. It's funny, I was just, uh, not funny, but it just popped my mind. I was reading about a politician this week, and he was kind of, he was, kind of, he was, get, he was getting lambasted for a decision he had made in the past about you know, voting and passing a bill. And, and, and he wasn't used to that kind of criticism from the crowd he was at. And he said, you know, I almost apologized for doing what I did. I almost apologized for doing what I did. Well, what is that? You know? And, and what he was apologizing, he didn't like being unpopular. And so he almost apologized for being unpopular, but then he, he, he held himself back. And sometimes we're with that. We're, we're almost sorry for what we've done, but are we really sorry? And God says, look, run from and then run to. So what's the point this morning? Whatever you're struggling with, whether it's, whether it's a trial that you're having to endure and there doesn't seem to be a light in the end of the trial, just don't quit. Or, or maybe you're just filled with doubts and, and, and your mind is filled with accusations and, and you need to resist the evil one. Don't believe the lies you, you've been told or are being told. And, and as you're facing temptation and things you're struggling with, maybe habitual things, understand that, that God is capable 
of, of setting you free from that what you've been and done. And he's always that one, the one you can run to for not only freedom, but for forgiveness. But we need to understand at times we need to remain, at other times we need to resist, and other times we need to run. The Bible says flee immorality. Don't stay close to the fire because if you stay close to the fire, you'll get what? You'll get burned. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people that are honest with you and ourselves about, about what we're going through and what we've entered into and what we have done. And Father, help us to run from that which dishonors you and destroys us. And help us run to the one who sets us free. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning. Asking